Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. You know, if memory serves, Jack and Earl are on about the eighth episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season. If memory serves. So, you are correct, and memory did serve, and if memory serves is the episode that we are reviewing today. We are, we are reviewing uh, Star Trek Discovery season two, episode eight. Again, if memory serves. Uh, <laughs> I this, think we are. Yeah, this this I'm not, last. I'm not sure if my may have just heard is that of my uh, of my co-host, uh, this Earl Gray over there. I'm uh, Jack Dorino, and we are insert name of show here. <laughs> so uh, so so I you know I gotta tell you United so, uh, Tea House Federation. Okay, it maybe I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so there's a uh, so there's so you were meant you were talking just a second ago about how the the episode opens. I don't know if you if you guys in the audience have have quite uh, gleaned this yet, but um, my friend Earl over there he likes to start the episode as we begin the show and sort of like watch it as we're going along. I was doing that for a while, but I found myself like distracted a little too much, <laughs> so I I do not do that anymore. It may cause a little bit of disparity. When, uh, I want to discuss things later in the episode, and, and Earl's watching stuff that's you know happening, quote unquote, now in the episode. What's now? It's happening now. 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 You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? Past then. When? Just now. We're at now. Now. Go back to then. When? Now. 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 I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. Okay. <laughs> so that was Spaceballs. If you want to uh, fill out that block on your bingo <laughs> cards today, some uh, clever camera moves there. I I really did. I have to tell you, the first the first few moments of this episode, I really enjoyed. Um, if memory serves, this is the one that begins with a recap of the original series episode that features. Uh, well, which episode does it recap? Does it recap the cage, or does it research the menagerie, or does it recap just? I guess would recap just the cage because well, the menagerie hasn't yeah. happened yet. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. So that's very interesting that they've placed uh, Discovery season two between the cage and the menagerie. That's that's really. I think that's really a bit of clever well, writing. It also places uh, Discovery season two between the first pilot, the cage, and the second pilot where no man has gone before. Sure, 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 sure. I kind of, yeah, I 100% I agree with you. Let's say that that way. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna really briefly say that uh, this episode, uh, I, I've, I've looked at the descriptions of episodes and I think I'm abandoning Wikipedia at this point. And I think I'm wholeheartedly backing Memory Alpha. Uh, I'm sure you guys can find okay. it online. It's Memory Alpha. It's, it's where I'll likely be reading um, these uh, these uh, episode like uh, uh, episode uh, descriptions forward because they they're really great um, and they also the, these uh, memory alpha pages also remind me of some clever things like quotes etc um, and they're very specific about the episode so in any case this is yeah. Star Trek Discovery season two episode eight if memory serves in which Spock and Burnham head to Talos or where the process of healing Spock forces the siblings to confront their troubled past. Stamets just desperately tries to reconnect with an increasingly disconnected Q 
while Tyler struggles to set the true suspicious tone. Wow, is it a word? That's a word. Suspicions. While Tyler struggles to shed the crew's suspicions of him due to his past as Volk. So that's the that's the that's the uh, memory alpha version. The uh, okay. the uh, the Wikipedia version is uh, scrap. It's a uh, well, well. The thing that I appreciate about Wikipedia over memory alpha is if if you haven't if you don't want spoilers, you go to Wikipedia. If you want details to refresh your memory of your memory from Memory Alpha, then um, you go to Memory Alpha. But because um, they they delve more deeply into the details of the episode. So uh, yeah, so part of the thing that's happening with me this season is that like I I don't really because I have actually don't tell anybody spoilers. Um, seen all the spoilers and have reached the end of season three. Um, I'm really trying to do a full memory refresh without like watching the episode yes. again. And the memory yes. alpha, um, the memory alpha refreshes are 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 beautiful for that. Um, in uh, once we move on to season three, I'll likely do a viewing of the episode um, beforehand, uh, and then uh, and then we'll be able to review it. You know, like thereafter. Um, I think that if I'm not mistaken. Uh, when we go, when we're going through season three, that will be your first time through it. Is that right, Earl? Yes. So that's yes, that's the, correct. That should be a pretty exciting uh, experience. I think that uh, there's a um, <coughs> Japanese term whose name I can't remember. Uh, Ainsley Mount featured it on his podcast. It's about um, seeing things from different angles in time. Uh huh. So I think that's the the way we'll be able to provide perspective once we're on season three. And uh, and I've seen it before, and you're just seeing it. It'll be interesting to see uh, to to hear, I guess. Unless we're making this yeah. video show, is this my camera over here? Um, then uh, it should be pretty pretty interesting to experience our differences of perspective on things. Yes. This is the same rock quarry that is in every rock quarry episode of. Doctor Who and Star Trek and yeah, all so of that. Earl, have you seen uh, Star Trek Picard season one? You've seen that, yes? Yes, season right. one. So the place where Rafi uh, lives is actually that very same, the very same place. And it's usually dressed up in science fiction and other things as another place. But this yeah. is, um, but in Star Trek Picard's among the first times that I've seen that place playing itself. Vasquez Rocks, I think. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the same rock quarry that's on Doctor Who because that's in the UK somewhere. But uh, the Gorn was yeah. The Gorn was fought the same place. Oh, I don't remember all the names, all the places that it's been used as, but it has been used as a lot of different places. Things you might not know covered this area in California, and what it is, it's the uh, unions in California picked 35 miles as their radius to distinguish how far they could go from the studio before you had to pay the cast and crew travel expenses. And this is ex exactly 34.9 miles from the, the studio so that they still, they can get this far away, but they can still try and use an interesting looking area for an alien planet, but still not have to pay travel expenses. Oh, so you're saying that's why we used uh, Vasquez Rocks? Yes. Oh, brilliant. 
for a long time before the credit comes up. Like the show will just start. And by the time the credits come up, I've forgotten that they haven't run the credits. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, yeah, I understand what you're saying because um, I've noticed that on uh, other shows that I've, I enjoy on the internet, uh, on other services. A lot happens before the trailer, and then I realize, oh crap, we just, we've just, we're just starting the show. Amazing. That that's probably part of the uh, nice thing about not having to cut to commercials after a certain amount of time. Surely, surely that's a, that's an awesome thing. Maybe there used to be union laws or rules that said you had to go to the to the uh, credits and you know within a certain amount of time too. Oh, well, that's a question for a guest star. Should we ever have one? We need to make a list of like of things to bombard a guest star with if we should ever be so lucky as to get one on our show. Yeah. This is obviously post the quarantine of Talos 4. And you, you arrive there and all you see is this fake black hole. This, you know, you think it's a real black hole. And you want to leave. You want to get away from the black hole so you don't get swallowed by the black hole and spaghettification did 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 or i i think that that's a great way to uh disguise your place like if you really don't want anybody there to just put yeah. in their brain that you're heading for death you're heading for danger you're heading for something that is not what you were looking for i think that's a great idea yeah and i like the stalwartness of spock to just go ahead and okay we're going we're just gonna go we're gonna do it he doesn't say anything he stops her from 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 react from you know freaking out and turning them away, and then when they pass through, mm-hmm. I, I can feel the re- I can see the realization on her face like oh that okay so that's oh I thought you were trying to kill us okay no, but, and I think it's at that moment that <laughs> you know she's able to pull a little bit more trust for him out of her uh, you know bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. So Vina did this thing. Vina did this amazing like this Zarek multi-light year distant mind meld with Pike at one point and I am not really sure that I understand how that happened or what that was he, he turned and there was and and she was just there and talking to him are you talking about later in the episode or uh, I probably am because again I'm not watching as yeah. we go but I was just thinking about, uh, I was actually thinking about the part where, where, uh, you know, Burnham has already, they've already landed the shuttle and, uh, yeah. and, you know, Vina is, Vina has them transport themselves down and then Vina walks up to, to them on the surface. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I know who you're talking about. The, the lady that. The lady! The lady! That stayed behind when Pike left, and she'd rather have her uh, her be in her cage and have her illusions and um, live a beautiful life rather than uh, the disabled and decrepit and uh, disheveled look that she has in, in real life. Sure, it's... It's I, I understand her, her wanting to make that choice though. I, I totally get it. That brings back uh, things from other from some of the movies like like you mentioned before where McCoy says, Well, I need my pain. My pain 
defines me. Sure, that is you know? one of my one of my favorite things. Hey, listen, we're going to uh, pause here for a moment. We're going to go to commercial, and we will be right back. There is there's a lot of mind stuff going on in this episode, and I don't I don't know that I have ever comprehended the negotiation of memories for I guess sustenance. Uh, that that was hinted at in both the cage and the menagerie, and then sort of doubled down on in uh, in this episode. I I, I think that there uh-huh. this episode follows the trope that I've been uh, learning along the way that Discovery has of like anything that I don't that I'm annoyed by or don't understand or I don't really like, they just double down on it. <laughs> okay, what makes you say that? Uh, well, the tardigrades was like. A weird idea, and then they double down on that. They're like, "Okay, we're going to definitely do more tardigrade stuff." Oh, um, I like the tardigrade stuff. Yeah, I don't uh, like. So okay, so I like. I'm, I'm fine with it. Like, I accept it. But tardigrades are not that size. Tardigrades are not vicious. When you pull the water out of something, it's probably. I guess a tardigrade could do it, but like, that's not how that works. Like okay. the way the way the thing crunched down, like crunch, 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 crunch into a little ball. I don't think that's how that works, but you know, I go with it. The the Talosians want memories in exchange for help, whatever kind of help they can offer. I I'm not really with it, but you know, it's what it is. So I accept it. It's 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 fine. It's just fine. Well, I don't know if they use it as some sort of sustenance. Maybe it's more of a drug to them. Plus, they haven't. They've been quarantined, so they haven't had new fresh memories except for this only human that they know of. So another question is like, how long have they been in this quarantine? How long have the the people been quarantined from from uh, from Talos for? Well, they don't give uh, dates or star dates very often in this show. So, so we know it's between the first and second visit, but were they quarantined at the first visit? Uh, after the first visit, like, what is the timing exactly? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Oh, you mean like the uh, time period to get through the red tape? Uh, no, no, no. The to, time to period in, of like, so exactly how long has it been since the cage? Oh, okay. Right. Well, um. But we know it's between. We just don't know. Yeah. I mean, we know that Ensign Spock is promoted to commander by the by the uh, time he we encounter him on the Enterprise in the prop in the show proper but we don't know if or, there's a time limit based on that or if there, is there like a time and rate that they have to achieve or is there like a test they have to pass or can they just like jump around whatever whatever based on their skills and abilities as proven because clearly well, as we all know that Kirk has not had the time and rate to be a captain yeah yeah. So, but we we do well, know uh, that I mean I don't think it's very common for people to skip ranks and I'm so I'm sure there's got to be a minimum amount of time that you can be one rank before you can be promoted huh. um, otherwise you know everybody in the fleet would just be all captains oh that sounds like a few role playing games that I've been a part of role playing groups <laughs> Like, everybody in the fleet is trying to be an admiral today. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know if anybody's experienced those. Like, I don't want to mention any large groups because I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to end up talking negatively about any of them. I, I enjoy all of them for different reasons. 
um, at least all of them <laughs> I've, I've interacted with. Uh, and, you know, there's some that I honestly don't, they haven't, uh, you know, I haven't really enjoyed being a part of, but. Some named after uh, Greek letters of the alphabet? I am not going to do that <laughs> at all. Okay. Um, okay. I, there's, you know, let me, let me just go ahead and say it. There's, there's one called uh, Bravo Fleet that I actually enjoyed and didn't enjoy at different times for different reasons. Um, so it's a very personal experience people have with, um, with, uh, you know, role playing groups. And I think that it, you know, they fulfill their purpose when they, when they need to, uh, and, and they're really enjoyable. I, I am gonna, I'm actually gonna here, I'm going to go ahead and push, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and promote probably. Uh, that'll be our first free sponsor. Look, they got Bravo Fleet. Congratulations, <laughs> you got a free sponsorship. Isn't that great? So Bravo Fleet's great. If you want to do that thing, uh, which is the, uh, the if you want to join a fleet of people who want to write about Star Trek, then I, I I'm more than I'm more than well I'm more than welcome you to try Bravo Fleet. They're they're very reachable. Um, they are they are <laughs> they are reachable by BravoFleet.com. You're actually going to promote them. Yeah, I am. I am. I, I'm going to say, yeah, they're they're one of the largest and oldest Star Trek. They've been around for fracking ever. Um, so promoting them is sort of like just like second nature. Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, probably that's that's one to be on. Uh, they're probably going to be around, <laughs> you know, when your children are are listening to this podcast and being like, oh, what the hell are you if guys we, doing? Yeah, if know? we don't uh, hold our episodes until our your children are actually already listening yeah. to my children will be will be doing the sound production for these episodes and putting them out <laughs> 20 years from now whenever we get around to being published or yeah and we're gonna we're gonna sound like yeah back in these olden days when we watched <laughs> this old show called star trek discovery you know uh, and, and when we were still doing using ancient equipment like a keyboard and this is probably, a laptop sure. have you ever heard of one of those <laughs> this new uh, psycho web or mental web is oh, I know, kind right? of freaky to me. Yeah, I don't want those people in my head. Yeah. Just think about what you want your computer to do. Oh, I know, and it does it, right? That's how That's how it's going to work. It's, it's definitely how it's going to work. Like, I mean, it, it avoid all the frustration of, of getting your computer and waiting for your computer to do the thing that you asked it to do right now. Why, why are you worrying about the thing running in the background that is taking all of your memory? Don't do that. Set that aside. I'm asking you to do this now. <laughs> you should do this now. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. There's a there's an interesting point uh, at the beginning, sort of a, I guess it's around what I would call Act One of uh, this, this episode of Star Trek Discovery, uh, where Pike asks Arium about the audit of the ship's data core, and Arium reports the probe used multiple SQL injections, and that caught my attention really, really hard because um, I do have a degree in computer programming, and I always like it when reality is injected into Star Trek very uh, strongly, and this is one of those points. So SQL is actually, uh, uh, do you know what SQL is here? I don't. I've I've heard the acronym before. I yeah. don't know what it means. So it's a it's it's the way that you work with databases. Well, one of the ways you can work with databases. It's a like okay. structured structured query language. I think is what it's called. Um, and oh, it just okay. like you can change 
lots of stuff in databases. SQL, so fun, oddly enough, SQL is actually a way that uh, most most uh, Star Trek role playing groups I've, I've come across that have an online repository of their stories and of their characters, and you know they they interact on online. Most of them have a backend that's run by well through MySQL, um, which is a very okay. speci- it's a very specific uh, programming interface for for SQL, which is you know mm-hmm. it, it organizes your your database. I I so I really like the idea, and I thought about it when it was mentioned. And yeah, I guess if you wanted to change uh, the way a computer is run, you could really inject, put put some stuff in the databases. You could change some headers and that would move, mm-hmm. you know, this over to that, etc. cetera. Um, so, so it's a programming language analogous to C++ or something like that? I'm gonna say HTML? no, 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 no. So it's like a, it's basically, it's, a, it's like it's domain specific and it's used for, it's not used for front end, it's used for back end. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So it's not like something that we, it's not something you can present, but it is something that you can, it describes the, it doesn't describe what's in your database, but it describes, it basically puts headers on all your lists. You know what I'm saying? So like, you could say, like if you have a sheet that is a character, right? Um, it basically pulls together all the pieces, of, like all the a different- character sheet? Yeah, yeah. It has all the, all the <laughs> pulls together all the pieces. So you'd have like, Rank and the possible ranks are, you know, instant through admiral, and it says that you're gonna pull from this list of the ranks. It's this rank, and then you're gonna pull from this list of uh, of the character names. It's this character. You're gonna pull from this list of attributes. You get these attributes. You're gonna pull from all these lists of all these pictures. You're gonna pull this picture and present, you know, a page that has basically the results of all these SQL queries. It's a tangent, you know. If you had SQL on your bingo card for the day, congratulations, <laughs> you've 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 almost won bingo. You're very close. If you know, <laughs> if you had Keeper as your other being, uh, you know, uh, a position in Quidditch, then there's your other other piece of the bingo card. Because every time I hear the Keeper, which is a uh-huh. uh, one of the Talosians. I think Keeper as in the Quidditch game. <laughs> so if you had Harry Potter on, because everything relates to Harry Potter, right? So if you had Harry Potter on your uh, bingo card, of course you win your Harry Potter block for the day. Also, I'm gonna throw in your enemy mine. Your enemy mine block, I'm gonna throw that in today as well. What is that? Don't ask me what. Enemy mine, have you not seen this movie? You haven't seen Enemy in Mine? Enemy Mine? No, Enemy Mine. Oh, Enemy Mine. Oh, the movie where um, a human crash lands on a planet with an alien and they're like at war together. And it's like a World War II movie, but in the future, it's sci-fi setting. Yeah, so you're talking about the episode of Star Trek Next Generation where Geordi is stuck on Kalorndon Core with the Romulan and the Romulan has a baby and then they get rescued. I'm talking about an early 90s movie called No, it's 1985. It is called Enemy Mine. I was making a joke because there is an identical movie there's an identical episode of Star Trek Next Generation. The only thing it doesn't feature is uh, the an alien having a baby. But it's basically like they meet each other they're, they're fighters, they find each other on a world and it's the enemy and they band together to, to survive. It is a Star Trek Next Generation episode. Yeah, but it was the movie first. It, it was. But but I don't remember there being a baby in the movie. 
yeah, the the Lucasa Jr. the Lucasa Jr. character, which is the alien, the alien has a baby while he's there on the planet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really, I'm trying to remember the name of the Star Trek: The Next Generation episode. Should I call it the Enemy? Um, if you want to. That's what I'm going to call it because that's the name of the episode. It is. Uh, it came out in 1989, which was four years after uh, four years after Enemy Mine, the movie came out. Came out in 1985, right? So four years later, Star Trek: The Next Generation makes the same show, the same episode, the same story, right? Um, uh, only theirs is on Stardate 433.49.2 in 2366, which would be third season because 2363 is the beginning of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And moving on. Right. <laughs> uh, later on, Culber is very shocked that Stamets has kept all of his stuff. If you go through this thing. This whole thing about how Culver is angry and Stamets is not paying attention to the fact that he's angry and he doesn't know so why he's angry. Like, their relationship is clearly not working because neither of them are relating to each other, right? Like, you have to relate to one another. That's the point of a relationship. And neither one of them is hearing the other. And neither one of them is listening to each other. And as a matter of fact, I strongly posit that Stamets is really never related to Culver. That Stamets has just, like, been shocked that Culver was interested in him and like went along with it um, and then got carried away and still is not really paying attention to Culver beyond his interest in Stamets. I feel like maybe Stamets is in a codependent relationship and Culver's not in that same okay. relationship. Okay. So Stamets is, yeah. he's so enamored with his partner over the on, only fact that he's enamored with him back that he's willing to accept whatever's going on and glaze over it just because he's so focused on just the love that they yeah so that's that's close I think that okay so I think that Culber expected to spend his life like alone in a science lab and he was cool with it and then Culber comes along and Culber's like hey you're cool and Stamets is so much into Oh my God! This guy likes me. I'm gonna be in this relationship. I'm gonna play house with this guy, and everything's gonna be hunky dory forever. That he's not actually listening to Culber and understanding Culber. He's understanding the idea of Culber mm-hmm. and relating to that instead of relating to the actual person. But Culber's continually, continuously relating to Stamets. Like Culber's like Culber in the, in the first season. Culber was always taking care of Stamets, like. And it, it sort of continues. It continues during this season where Culber is taking care of Stamets and Stamets is, like, emotionally not in the same moment. You know, like, uh-huh. yeah. he, he's very stalwart in that. And I don't know whether that's intentional or whether that's good or whether that's bad. But, you know, at least we know that Stamets is too busy drooling over Culber that he's probably not the one sending these unauthorized subspace transmissions with petabytes of data. What, by the way, is a petabyte? Well, uh, it's obviously bigger than a terabyte. Petabyte, let's see. Kilo, mega, giga, peta, or tera. Is it the next level up from peta? Uh, so a petabyte is the fifth power of a thousand. So it's like 10 to the 15th. So one followed by 15 zeros is a petabyte. 
Okay. So that's way more than like it's more than a million, it's more than a billion, it's more than a trillion. It's more I believe it's more than a quintillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's two two to the fiftieth bytes or ten to the ten to the fifteenth bytes. It is a lot of uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Not the next level up above a terabyte, but even beyond that then. Uh, it might be just above a terabyte. A terabyte is uh, let's see, the Hubble Space Telescope generates about 10, ter- 10 terabytes of data every year. Um, okay. The, the movie Avatar, if you recall, was about yes. one petabyte of storage. Oh, okay. The, the human brain can store about 2.5 petabytes of data. Okay. Um, if you recorded on HD for like three years, uh-huh. like just 24-7, around the clock, just full HD, you'd get yeah. about a petabyte of storage. Three years, though. Okay. So it's... Or you could take... If you took 4,000 photos a day for your entire life, then that would be a petabyte. Okay. So a petabyte should be enough to, like, beam someone up or down. However, an exabyte is... Okay. So an exabyte is is oh gosh I, I, I don't even know how to like describe that so an exabyte would be mm, 1024 petabytes so it's like an exabyte is just after a petabyte a petabyte is just after a terabyte a terabyte is just after a megabyte megabyte is just after a gigabyte so it goes like byte gigabyte or gi- <laughs> byte megabyte gigabyte terabyte terabyte uh, petabyte exabyte I think that's I think that's as far as we go. I, I yeah, I remember watching uh, an episode of Enterprise, and they got their new uh, tactical room, and uh, they they acquired a lot of data or something from somewhere, and in the corner you could see an XB, and I was assuming that was an exabyte, and I don't remember how how big the how many exabytes of information oh, they had. So exabyte is usually EB, but that could be. Oh, okay. Debatable. Well, there's maybe also then a, it was an, It could be above that. So a, there's actually... So, like, above an EB is a ZB, which is a zettabyte, and then above a zettabyte is a yottabyte. So it could be okay. that they're using XB as, like, previous board. Even beyond. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, it could be, like, a 1024 to the ninth, you know? <laughs> Wait, what was your joke? I missed it. I don't know. It was something about uh, former Borgs. Oh, you know the XBs. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I get it now. Yeah. Well, I doubt it had anything to do with um, XBs because the 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 former board because uh, Enterprise never knowingly encountered the Borg. I I really liked the the uh, the scene a little bit later. Where uh, where Spock and uh, and Burnham are in Spock's memory, and you know the whole fight scene happens, and then he asks her, "Do you see murder here?" I don't know why that scene was so poignant, but just that moment was like, "Oh, you know what? You're right. Like you're totally in his brain. Oh, when and you still don't believe him. Like you don't believe him, and he's like you're sitting there watching exactly what he saw." Y- you mean like uh, when he's recalling his escape from? Uh the asylum yeah exactly that exactly that okay um it's just a scene that i really 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 enjoyed um 
uh, he mentions that he had seen, by the way, at this point he mentions he had seen the Red Angel first as a child, and then a few months ago. Yeah. So when did he see the Red Angel a few months ago? Where was well, he? How did he see the Red Angel? I think they sort of covered that when he, I don't think he was on the Enterprise yet. Um, well, he might have been. Yeah, so I don't think we ever cover. Well, we'll wait until later in the season, but I don't believe that we ever went back and covered where, when, and how he saw the Red Angel a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, I know that Michael Burnham didn't make that angel connection, so it must have been Gabriel. Okay. But who knows? So this is the thing where, like, with this season, it seems like there was a little bit of uneven storytelling. Like, the maybe the, is the girl who dug her her hand into the ash and made the stars of that Gabriel. Maybe that's where we're going with that. I, I feel like we have to like come back to that as a touchstone. I think that's a, that was an important thing. Like it just seems so big and so momentous, you know. And and the whole speech of like space above us, around us, within it, like that whole thing, just seems like it deserves like a, a revisit. You know, it was just a lot, mm. and I would love to love for that book to close you know with the with the remembrance of that of that beginning that that tone uh-huh. was incredible i guess sometimes when i'm watching i just take the episodes individually and notice these you know the overarching connections but um i mean maybe i'm still just trying to watch this as episodic television as rather than one overarching story. Yeah, I don't know if you could um, do that. I don't know if that like really works like that. Then, but then the other thing I'm also doing is just watching Enterprise or uh, watching Star Trek Discovery as Star Trek Discovery and not trying to place it within the larger universe of what's going on and where everything else is and I mean I'd love to be able to watch the entire series of Star Trek, all of Star Trek in timeline order. Oh, City on the Edge Forever, I think, would be the first thing you'd watch. I think that might be the oldest. As in the farthest back in time they go? Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, unless you count the Q episode where they... Oh! Card yeah, good point. Robin good point. Hood. They have to go all... Well, no, it goes back <laughs> even further, because remember there was, you'd have to watch the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, because remember, he goes all the way back to where life started <laughs> on Earth. On Earth. Well, I, I think you're taking um, the literal meaning of my uh, statement a little bit too extreme. Or do you go through, like, all of the Deep Space Nine moments that exist outside of time? Like, everything that happens in the wormhole is sort of, like, outside of time. That's true. I think, well, I, I think what I meant more sp- specifically was timeline order, like what, when, when the episode starts and where the episode ends. Yeah. So, so I totally understood what you meant. I was just trying to make it com- more complicated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they always start the episode in the 24th or 23rd century, and they always end the episode returning back to that yeah. uh, time period. 22nd. 23rd, 24th, or 25th century. Well, okay. I think it's, is that, that's what it is, right? 22nd, because the 22nd century is Enterprise, 23rd century 
is original Star Trek and Discovery in the 24th century is Next Generation and all of that of its iterations. And the 25th century is also the Next Generation and Picard and well, uh, Lower Deck. The Next Generation is never in the 25th century. Oh, wait. No, you're right. 40 years. It would be 37 years after the beginning of the Next Generation that we start the Next Century. So uh, Picard is in the 25th century and Lower Decks is in the 25th century. Well, I don't know if Lower Decks is, but because uh, Star Trek Nemesis... Star Trek Nemesis is still in the 24th century, but uh, isn't that late uh, 2380s or yeah, um, yeah, it's 20, it's like 23, yeah, it's 2380s for, for sure. Okay, so then 10 years from then would still, I mean, they could still be on the Titan, and you could still be in the 2380s or 2390s in Lower Decks. And still be rescued by the Titan. Yeah, but Lower Decks, Lower Decks says that it's in the 25th century. Oh, dude, okay. Yeah, they mentioned they're in the 25th century, like, right from the start. Okay. Um, Nemesis is in 2379, and Picard takes place 20 years after that. So that puts us, like, at the turn of the century, really. But I'm going to assume that it's after the turn of the century. 2379 and then 20 years later? Yeah. That would be... Twenty three ninety nine. Yeah, I understand math. Thank you. <laughs> it was you know, like about twenty years later, so I think that it starts at least twenty years after. I uh, I'm actually moving on right now to uh, some of my my favorite quotes. Um, I did mention the one about uh, do you see murder here? I I do I do love that one. The part about um, Buck and Burnham going back and forth. Is, is always fun. There is one part that says, uh, he says, is there a valuable question in your arsenal? And she says, yes. Do you actually think the beard is working? <laughs> this is my favorite, actually, uh, quote so far of all of Star Trek Discovery, including season three. So there's a part where, and it's my favorite fight scene so far in Discovery, where like, Culber encounters Ash Tyler and he's like, holy crap, I'm coming for you because he's confronting his killer, right? So, so. I just saw that scene. So yeah, so Tyler's like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you should get it, but it's really, it wasn't me. And he's like, and Hughes like, oh yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So it was folk, right? So Tyler's like, yeah, he's like, we'll bring him out. It doesn't work like that. I, I can find him, and then they commence to like trying to whoop each other's ass. And then later is is my favorite scene. You know, when when Pike's like, hey, listen, we don't do things that way. We don't set all the disputes that way. And Saru's comeback is the Starfleet manual offers no regulatory guidelines for interactions between humans with Klingons grafted to their bones in a ship's doctor returned from the dead. <laughs> Pretty much the best line of all Star Trek. Because of course there's no regulation for that yet in this time. But there probably is a regulation at this point by the 24th century. Yeah, there probably is an exact regulation for interactions between humans with Klingons scrapped to their bones and a ship's doctor returned from the dead. There probably is exactly that. Okay, side note. I went into the related shows heading. How is Why Women Kill related to Star Trek? You know, I've been wondering that, and I haven't quite understood. It, said it, it says it all the time. I don't know why it's related or how it's related, but I'm sure that it is related in some way. And I'm going to find out one day once I'm bored enough, but... Tell me a story, the Twilight... Well, the Twilight Zone, yeah, that's technically sci-fi. So, Giorgio says, you know, the Telosians tried this trick with me in the Terran universe once, and I blew them and their stupid singing plants off the face of the planet, which I appreciate, because they are stupid singing plants. 
Their little singing points don't make any sense. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, sci-fi in the early 60s for you. You have to take whatever show you're watching within the context that it was uh, of the decade in which it was created. Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that uh, in Star Trek, the original series, that today we would say, oh, that's racist or oh, that's so terrible. Yeah, there is a lot of sexism in Star Trek The Next Generation. There's a lot and, of sexism. And, Supposedly, they're they're uh, disadvantaged culture. Then you got to remember, oh wait, that's 1966. That that is progressive thinking for them. You know, that's uh, one of the things that uh, one of the commentators I watch on YouTube was was saying is the show is great. You know, it's it's outdated for today, but the show is itself great and it is progressive. It's just not progressive to our standards. Large quarry, by the way, is where the Talos four shots were done. They weren't done at uh, Vasquez Rocks. They were done at Lafarge Quarry. Um, that 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 was the same place where they did uh, the Wolf Inside, where um, Firewolf had his his hidden uh, base. The Wolf On, Inside. Yeah, the Wolf Inside was a was a season one Discovery episode uh, featuring the planet Harlak in the Mirror Universe. Oh, okay. With Firewolf, who was Volk in the opposite in the other universe. Um, so so the stuff that happened there. Was, was the same place as Telos, Telos 4, by the way. Oh, okay. I really enjoyed the end of the episode where, you know, after, of course, the archival footage, we did the uh, the the end of, you know, the, the, the old Star Trek ending theme once more. Oh, okay, yeah. Really, uh, really enjoyed that. I always like the callbacks. Fan service will get me every time. One of the things I've been enjoying and watching in uh, all of Discovery is looking at the opening credit sequence and trying to like the, the, this one they showed uh the diagrams or the breakdown of you know the phaser and the type one tucked into the type two to make it the type two and uh just the in-universe diagrams that you expect sure. to see yeah i do really like them i want to see them all reproduced and expanded in a uh, in a star trek discovery uh technical manual i need two versions yeah. of the technical manual that is a uh, i can't discuss that yet but there is a reason why i need two different versions of the technical manual okay. um because i want to know on this side and that side i uh i really really enjoy that as well yeah, I mean, I used to have the TNTG technical manual. I used to have Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, you and me both. DS9 technical manual. So I actually now have all of these on my Kindle. Oh, okay. The 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 thing that bummed me out the most was they never made a technical manual for Voyager. Yep, never did. And they never, well, they never made, oh, they wait, never hold published on. a technical manual for Voyager. So let me say, I, yeah, so I have a Voyager technical manual. And it's it's not as big as the TNG technical manual, but it is very huh. complete. And I'm very I, I still don't know the source, but it is it's very professional. Like it's super professional. Okay. Yeah, it's a Star Trek Voyager technical guide, and it's by Rick uh, Rick Berman actually wrote it. Okay. So and, it, and I think it's meant for cast and crew. Yeah. Um, there's but a, they never published it. Gave it to Pocket Books to publish. Yeah, and there's two versions of it. One is called the Technical Manual, and the other called is called the Technical Guide. Um, okay. and I believe the Technical Guide is the original version, and it may have been rewritten. You know, for for speculative uh, writers, like it was. I think it was just meant for people who are, you know, writing Star Trek just to make sure that you're not, you know, writing some crazy stuff that doesn't make any sense. So you know how the, yeah, how the um, how the thing works, how the 
ship works. And yeah. Computer works and all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I wouldn't mind a an updated TNG technical manual so that you can get something for the Enterprise E. Oh yeah, I don't want it. I'm so not interested. Oh, okay. So not interested. All right. That's all you. You can have that because I don't. I don't like that little. That little ship can can eat me. I don't like it. The the movie Enterprise? No, just the ship. Yeah, yeah. The the the. Well, not the. So there's there are two movie Enterprise. There's two movie uh, next generation movie Enterprises. Let's not forget because there's you know the the D was featured on screen during Generations, yeah. and it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, not as beautiful as it is in the beginning of Star Trek Picard, but still very beautiful. Okay. Um, and then we decided to crash it, like we it's just to just to have it with movies. So let's crash the damn ship, okay? Uh-huh. Ugh, I don't know what that's about, but um, uh, yeah, that's so that's that's my hope. Uh, uh, you if, don't in like case, the Enterprise D? Yeah, I don't like that warship. I don't need it. I don't need it in my okay. life. A lot of people point out how in the same movie it, it apparently acquires new decks. Yeah, it did have forty-two decks in the movie, and I was like, no, it has thirty-six. To, anyway, that's a long story. I'm, production and consistency is really it really annoys me when they don't do it right. And I'm sure you probably wouldn't care to get a technical manual um, uh, of the NX-01. Oh, not at all. No interest at all. <laughs> I don't know what that thing is. That's like a bastardized nothing. I, anyway, that's just my personal thoughts. And maybe one day we'll we'll do an Enterprise cast. <laughs> Today, though, I think if I continue this this uh, this show. I myself am going to fall asleep before we even get to the closing credits of this thing. But look, we've gone over we've we've gone over m- the the episode. We've gone over some quotes. We've gone over some some points. We've gone over some fine points. We've gone over some some technical stuff. So I think uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to say that we're uh, we're pretty good here. What do you say? Well, I played through the full full episode, so we must have been at least uh, 52 minutes or whatever. All right. I, I think we've done it. How how's how's that, folks? I hope you enjoyed our review of uh, Star Trek Discovery season two, episode eight. If memory serves, if memory serves, this is your favorite episode of our show so far. If memory serves, wow, you know what? I kind of like that for uh, for a name of this show. If memory serves, huh? You don't, or you know, United Tea Federation of Tea. I just I I hesitate to put the word tea in there because. Uh, it means different things for different people. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm discussing crystal methamphetamine in relation to Star Trek. I have no idea how those two things are related. Yeah, I, I know. I know, but some people do know. And for those of you people, I say stay tuned. We'll talk about all these things come very, very soon. Don't miss it. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it'll come up eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For now, uh, for now, I'm gonna use one of my one of my favorite lines of the episode, uh, sort of like I did last time. I'm gonna say, "Say goodnight, Earl." Who? Earl. Say goodnight, <laughs> Earl. Oh my gosh! Let's try this one more time. So, like, uh, like they said at the end of the episode, or not the end of the episode, but the end of this episode. And as uh, and as uh, Spock and Burnham cleverly uh, snuck away on the Starship Discovery and left uh, a fakey fake with Leland. Say goodnight, Earl. Earl? <laughs> oh, Lord. Good night, Earl. The continued making of this show through Patreon.com. 
Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.